theyeshiva.net. The point in Perik Aleph, chapter 1, and the beginning of Perik Bez was that uh, when we speak about tshuva, the concept of tshuva, it's not like people think tshuva begins with repentance or remorse for sins. That's one detail of tshuva. It's one aspect of tshuva. Tshuva is really the cosmic mission, a goal, which the Nisham is always in, a person is always engaged in, even the greatest of tzaddikim. Or the expression of the Gemara, kol yamav b'tshuva. So kol yamav b'tshuva doesn't only mean because everybody always sins, it means even somebody who doesn't. The concept of life is tshuva. Tshuva is the story of life. Because tshuva means lahashiv, to return. As he says that the godly soul of a person, the soul of a person, is completely one with the Ein Saif and submerged in it. Man de nafach mitoichay nafach. It's so to speak his inner breath. Vayipach ba'ap of Completely one. Like the breath before you speak, before you exhale. is completely one with you. Where's that breath? It doesn't have a distinct place in your body. You say, oh, there is my breath. Which came out now through words or through blowing. That breath is completely one with your Ruach Chaim, with your Neshama. In fact, the word Neshama comes from the word Neshima, right? which means breath. Koil HaNeshama, Tahalal, Yudke Halaluka, we say in the morning from Tehillim. So the Medrash Tehillim says, Kol HaNeshama, Al Kol Neshima Uneshima, Tahalal Yudke. For every breath, you should be grateful, you should express gratitude. Al Kol Neshima Uneshima, Tahalal Yudke. Every breath is a new experience of life. And when somebody Khalila is short of breath, they appreciate what breath is. We often don't appreciate breath, you know? You inhale, you exhale, you don't even notice you're doing it. But it's really a miracle in the making, literally every moment. Simply the ability to be able to do it, and what happens as you inhale, what happens as you exhale, and how essential and vital for life that is. On a spiritual level, that is the very process of creation. The soul was completely one with its source. And then it comes out. It goes to a transformation. And life is about returning the soul back to its source to have complete vacuus with its own essence. The question now was, why? What was the point of this whole transformation of the soul? Especially its voyage is a dangerous voyage. What was the purpose? So he went into the discussion of Hashem Alekecha Eish Oichlehu. Moshe compares Hashem to fire, and the metaphor that is that the metaphor that is trying to the metaphor Moshe is trying to convey by comparing the Rebbeinu Shalaylam to a consuming flame is that fire does not is not sustained as a flame unless it's held on unless a wick or log, so to speak, contain it and hold on to it. If not, it naturally departs. Because the teva of Eish is lehistalik lamaila, to depart upwards. The same is true, the dvar Hashem that creates the worlds, haloikoi dvorai ka'esh na'um Hashem. My words are like fire. So he says, b'teva, naturally, it departs. It departs meaning is, it goes back to its source. Dibur comes, just like a person's dibur, comes from the person. But here, naturally, it's ash. You need something to hold on to it. 
hold on to it. He says, just like our dibur comes from the breath of the heart, which is Esh, Halev, Oisius Hevel, Oisius Lahav, Hashem's Dvarai also come from Esh. And that Esh naturally, naturally comes back, which is why it says, La'olam Hashem Dvarcha Nitzav Bashamayim. So the Medrash Tehillim says, creation has to happen every moment. Creation is happening every single moment. You don't light a fire and then the fire goes. No, no, no. You have to keep on fueling the flames. You want a bonfire to be sustained. You remember in camp, somebody has to sit up a whole night and there's always the volunteers who are more than happy to stay up the night and uh, <laughs> stoke the flames. doesn't burn on its own. You don't leave it alone and then come back. Uh, six hours later, it's going to be gone. It's, it's extinguished. There's always a new, a new dibur. It's always a, what happened the first moment. It's constantly, it's, it's constantly happening. The creation is constantly happening, and the vart is that the first dibur lost like ash. It would depart, and if it would depart, existence would cease. So in the beginning, it was Chafetz Chesed, Hashem wanted. After that, it depends on the Maisa Tachtoyne, on the action of those who are down here. The Bria happens, which he touches and covered El Torah. The Torah represents the Kalim, the containers, to hold down the fire, to hold down the light, the Oir. Fire represents Oir, light and warmth. The Oir Hashem that it shouldn't depart. Why would it naturally depart? On this he explained by Riches. What the Zoyar says, you remember, Lav Urcha de Malka, Creation is unnatural. It's not the way of the king to speak peasant-like words. And the explanation here is that what? That the creation, the entire cosmos, the physical cosmos, and even the spiritual universes, and even the highest, most lofty, spiritual, transcendent universes, as he says, even Ganeidin Elyon, and certainly Ganeidin Atachten, all of them are called Milidahadiyot. They all come from God's words. But this energy completely does not express, does not capture Elokus. It's not the natural expression of the king. In fact, it comes from the suspension of self. Creation is not an act of self-expression as much as it is an act of self-negation. Which is really a very uh, novel idea. Counterintuitive. Extremely counterintuitive. Even in the names, we call Hashem the Bashefer. It's like, wow, we. Wow, we. Look what he did. Wow, this is God. This piece of art. This is something special. This is an artist once in history. This mansion, this home, this piece of music. This is, this is only a Mozart, only a Beethoven. Nobody else could do this. Yeah. This book, this piece of literature, is priceless. Every word is gold and silver. He says, creation is the same thing. That's the Chiddush that it's not that way. Yes, from our vantage point, it expresses a tremendous amount. He's not here to minimize the wonder of creation. He's here to 
extol the infinity of God, you understand? He's not here to minimize the wonder of creation. He's here to explain that from the wonder of creation and saying that it doesn't express its creator, you understand that its creator is not defined by the fact that he's a creator. So in other words, to call God a creator in many ways is insulting. Yeah. So you're good? Huh? Very good. That's his pshat in Gemara. It's an original pshat. The Gemara says the end of Megillah. Usually, great kings are great. They're not humble. They're not small. Anywhere in Tanakh, where the Tanakh describes God's greatness, it always comes with a uh, qualification, with another pasuk describing his humility. Marim v'kadosh eshkoin esdako shvaruach. I, uh, he's, I, I, I dwell in the most exalted and sacred of places and in the heart of the broken, crushed, humble spirit. But I look at the Ani and the Ruach, I descend. So it basically brings out God's greatness and humility come together. Wherever you encounter his greatness, you encounter his humility, is not a contrast. It's the same thing. What we call his greatness is really humility. Creation. Creation we call unbelievable. The Gemara says in Brachas, Hagdullah, Chasham Hagdullah, Zu, Maiseberechus. Gdullahsa. Really, it's on Vasnusa. Why? It's an act of humility. Humility in the sense that it's an act of self-negation much more than self-expression. What we call Gdulasai from our vantage point, from his vantage point, is actually Anvasnusai. There's no expression. The word creator cheapens. The word creator in some ways would be insulting. What do I mean? It would be like I'm talking about creator. It's like I speak about this great uh, giant of a king, as he said, and you want to bring out his wealth, and you say, you know, you want to bring out his greatness, and you say, he has an unbelievable mud collection in his house. That's, what, that's the example he gives. It's an interesting example that he gives. What's the vart? The vart is nothing wrong with mud. Mud is a very useful uh, useful entity for construction. Levanum bricks come from mud with straw, etc. As the Pasuk in Shmois and Ready by the Der Hafloge and Parshas Vayera, but the point here is, it doesn't express, it doesn't express uh, the godless of the king. Now, I just want to uh, convey here one of the many ramifications of this idea, the way it applies in a person's life as well. This is a very important question. Is creation an act of self-expression or an act of self-suspension? Which one is it? Lagabe Hashem, of course. I didn't create the world. He did. Not about me. Usually, as I said, when we look at people's productions, successful ones, that's how they express themselves. In fact, that's what moves them to express themselves. That's what moves them. The composer composes. And when you listen to his composition, you're wow, if you appreciate it. And the architect draws. And when you see the plans, especially when they're materialized in, in the structure, in the edifice, 
you're like, wow. And the same is true in any other area, whether it's a writer, or a speaker, or an athlete. Whatever we create, any form of art that we create, whether it's utilitarian, whether it's practical, whether it's purely artistic, whatever it is, you go into a museum, you go to an art gallery, you take a look at a piece of art, if you have a chush, you take a look who painted it, and you see, you see genius, you see creativity. A book you're reading, a piece of music you're reading, a mansion you're watching, a speech you're listening to, everything is a creation, and the creation expresses at least something. It creates your brill- it expresses your brilliance, your passion, your humor, your depth, your wisdom, your ingenuity, your creativity, your originality, whatever it is. We want to, and we want to express ourselves. It's a major drive in a person. You want to express yourself. Whether it's a business you create, your administrative qualities, your edu- pa- pa- pedagogical qualities, whatever it is that you create on a daily basis, yeah? So with people, that's it's different. With people, we talk about their magnum opus. It's the, their magnum the limits, opus. It's the limits of their ability. Yeah. They've reached the peak. Yeah. Say, ah. not, not mubal. So okay. any creation is right. only limits his ability. We look at it, the great creation. Right. So that's the point. So you could look at creation and say, listen, the wisdom in creation is infinite. The size of creation is infinite. I mean, but creation by definition. At least right. So when you look at history and you re- study creation, after thousands of years we only, we didn't even scratch the, get to scratch the tip of the iceberg. We still don't even understand what's contained in a cell, in a protein, in an atom. But one who is a student of, uh, of creation on any level, any aspect of it, any part of it, one thing nobody can help doing is, and that is, if you're sensitive, marvel. Just marvel. That's a common denominator among anybody who, who reads a little bit. You just marvel at what is in front of us. In the words of Ishaya Hanavi, Su'u marimei Uru'u mi bara'ela. Yeah. told us Yaakov Yosef was a student of the Baal Shem Tif. His name was Yaakov Yosef of Pulna, the Rav of Pulna. He was from the great Talmudim of the Baal Shem Tif. And he wrote a sefer called Toldus Yaakov Yosef, which is probably the earliest Hasidic work that was ever published. Tovkuf Mem, I believe. That would be uh, 1780. It's only two de- three decades after the Baal Shem Tov's passing, the earliest Hasidic work, I think, or one of the earliest, Taldus Yaakov Yosef. And it's valuable because the Baal Shem Tov did not write any of his teachings. And the Taldus sat there, and he quotes the Baal Shem Tov constantly, so this is original stuff that he heard it. This is not, you know, manipulated, clay shlishi, clay revi, so it's a very valuable source, because it's the first generation, the, the original students of the Baal Shem Tov, the Taldus Yaakov Yosef. So the Balatanya never saw the. I mean, he saw the Balshamtiv once for his upshanish, but he wasn't a student of the Balshamtiv. So he was a third generation. So the Teldus Yaakov Yosef had a minig that he would go visit all the schools, all the Chadorim on Rishchodesh. Minig, the you know Rabbonim had different minhagim and shtetlach. Once a month, he would go visit all the Talmud Torahs, the Chadorim, whatever they had in Pulna, just to visit, speak to the kids, speak to the teachers. As a rabbi of the city. It's an interesting thing to visit every school, every cheder, every yeshiva, every talmud to see what's going on. Once a month. 
So uh, it, they were going, he went into a Chedrush, it was in the morning, and they were saying Barchi Nafshi. Chedrush, the same Barchi Nafshi, which is one, chapter 104 of Tehillim, Kov Dalet. And they're saying it or learning it. And Barchi Nafshi, basically, David HaMelech is impressed with God's world. That's basically Barchi Nafshi. Yeah? And he goes through everything, Yosad Eretz, Tahoim, Yalu Harim, Gvultham, Mashalech, Banyam. He speaks about the animals, and he speaks about the rivers, and the brooks, and the trees, and the birds, and so forth. Uh, he speaks about the sun and the moon. And Hakfirim Shagim Latarif. The young lions are roaring, right? If you ever spend time in the jungles in Africa, or National Geographic, Hakfirim Shagim Latarif. It's a little easier. The lions are roaring for prey. They ask God for food. Tizra Hashem, and they find their food. And you know when you know when they pray, yeah? So they do it at dusk, before dawn. So David HaMelech knew this very well. Tizra Hashemesh, the sun comes up, they go back to their dens, to their jungle territories, and that's when people go out to work. As the lions go to rest, people wake up to work. Which we say every morning in Shachris. And then he goes, how great God is your creator. Then he goes, Now he starts talking about the oceans, and the ships, and the Levyosan. And then he finishes, Okay. So a child raises his hand, and says, Rebbech versteinisht. There's something off here in the structure of the poem. First, describe all of creation. When you finish, say, He's in the middle of describing creation, the lions and people going to work. And then he goes back, He interrupts. First, describe the world and then praise God. The Malamet says, you're right. David HaMelech hat sich nicht gekannt einhalten. Er hat sich nicht gekannt einhalten. He couldn't contain himself. You're right. <laughs> Structurally, you're right. He should have waited. Er hat sich nicht gekannt einhalten. He gave a scream. Now let's get back to the science class. In the middle of the class, he couldn't contain himself. Tell the Yaakov Yezus said, "Ah, Achsedish Shemalamet." He was very, uh, he was very moved by what he told his child. In other words, he made it alive for them. It wasn't detached, cold academia, academics, right? It's a chishik and I help. Yishmakamaisa. So, tell the Yaakov Yezus was moved by it. I'll call upon him. So, this is not to minimize the Marabu Masecha. It's to explain that Marabu Masecha doesn't give you a tfisa in the in the in the Hashem. There's a word from the Magid. We say in the morning, So literally the translation is you have an English sitter here, yeah? So we could cheat, no? You're right. I stand corrected. 
you have made them all with wisdom, the earth is full of your possessions. Basically, everything belongs to you. Kinyan means what your kaina. It all belongs. The world, the earth is full, filled with your position, possessions. The Mazitcha Magid says that's not shot. Mala ha'aretz kinyanecha. The earth is filled with things through which we could be kaina you. The earth is filled with things through which we could be kind of you. The world is not a bad place. The world is not an evil place. The world is filled with that which allows people to be kind of you, to acquire you. In other words, there's no nekudah in the world through which, which, through which you can't connect. Through every nekudah in the world you could connect. That's the title of the Magad. Which of course represents sometimes a different ashkafa than many where the world is, uh, you know, inherently evil and disgusting and horrible, the body and the world and physicality, and the only way to connect is by escapism, by asceticism. Zavart, I once saw, it says in Prikayavis, we learned Shabbos, Ha, Rabbi Yaakov says, what does he say? Ha, Hilech Bederech. You're traveling. V'shoyne, you're learning. You're learning. You go on a hike and you're learning. V'mafsik b'mishnasa. You interrupt your learning. V'oyme, you say, Mano ilon zeh, mano nir zeh. How beautiful is this tree? How gorgeous the landscape. Ma'ilolav akasav kilo m'schayev b'nafsha. You're endangering your life. So the Mepharshim struggle. Why are you endangering your life? First of all, who are you praising when you say the beautiful the tree? You're praising God. Second of all, David HaMelech does it in Tehillim. We just learned. Why did he write this Tehillim? He should have been learning. <laughs> Third of all, there's brachas. There's brachas that you make at certain phenomena in creation. What, what are you making brachas? So there's a vart. It's a very stark vart. I think I saw it from the Chassam Seifer even. I remember. You're walking, you're hiking, and you're learning. Then it says, Not mafsik. I think it's posse. Yeah. You interrupt your learning, and you say how beautiful the tree is. The problem is not that you said how beautiful the tree is. That in your mind, you had to interrupt your learning in order to praise the tree. In other words, there is a split in your life. There's the world of Torah, and there's the world of nature. It's not the same. You're mafsik mishnasi. You say, now let's talk about life. <laughs> now let's talk about the world. Das is taira. All is taira. Everything is part of taira. Stakel so bar almond is Shem looked into the taira. He created the world. Now the whole world is a reflection of taira. What's the mafsik mishnasi? That's the challenge. So that's what the Maggid is expressing. The whole world is filled with things to which you can be kainayah. Which is, of course, is connected to the Balsham Tuzvart, the Gemara and Brach is Davav, Amar Ula, Amar Rabyaichin, Amar Yom Shecharav, Beisamiktish Einle, Lakadish Baruch Hu, Bailam, Eldalan, Amishlalach, Bulvan. From the day the Beisamiktish was destroyed, Hashem has in his world only four cubits of halacha. So the Balsham Tuz touched a very daring interpretation. Miyom Shecharav, Beisamiktish. What happened on the day that the Beisamiktish was destroyed is that we think. Our vision changed, and we believe that God only exists in four cubits of Allah. And when you go out of the four cubits of Allah, that's it. You're detached. That's part of the Khurban Beis Hamikdash. 
The truth is that the Dalar Amashalaha are to be found in the whole world. Now, when we're talking here the Vart of Lav Urcha the Malkalish Tod Milandadyot, not to minimize this, on the contrary. Creation expresses a tremendous amount. In fact, it expresses brilliance beyond, 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 beyond. And nonetheless, it doesn't capture, doesn't express the author of creation. It's called Milidehadyoita. So therefore, naturally, Milidehadyoita, the Dvar Hashem goes right back to its source. It's not... It's not it's not words that flow naturally from the divine source. We call it divine, we call him creator, because that's our way of being typhus in something. We look at God from the perspective of creation. In fact, in many ways, this is the difference between philosophy, I'm talking Jewish philosophy, holy philosophy, and Teres HaNista, Teres HaKabbalah. Philosophy begins with the world, Kabbalah begins with God. That's a different idea. Philosophy begins with the world, you look at the universe and you study it. And then you say, whoa, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? So you're, the God you create is the God that the world dictates to create. The world demands of you to create. You understand? God is created in the image of the world, which is not no small thing, because the world is a very impressive place. It's no small thing. But that's the God you come to. It's the God that grows out of his product. It's like, I know the author from the book. You know, you read sometimes, people author 20, 30 books. You finish reading the books, you know them. You know everything about them. You know them better than they know themselves, because they forgot their books already. You know, you meet them. Sometimes you listen to a person for years. You meet, I know everything about you. The guy never met you, but you met him many times. Yeah? <laughs> I met a guy the other day. She tells me, eight years I'm with you. Eight years I'm with you, three hours a day. I'm like, okay, I hope I'm a... It's a wonderful friendship, you know? You get to be with me and I don't have to be with you. It's a very easy friendship for antisocial or Asperger's people, right? It's a machaya. But it's a very funny experience, you know what I mean? Rabbi Yashibar was saying, sure, and many times some would try to answer a Rambam each year. He'd say, no, there's Rambam says, I know the Rambam a long, long time. It's an old friend, he'd never say such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know the person, but how do you know the person? You don't know the person from within. You know the person from without. That's why the God of philosophy is not the God of Kabbalah. It's not the same God. This God comes from the world, which brings you to many places. Because what's muhrich for the creation of the world? What's muhrich? But you can't say more than that. All I know about God is what He tells me through His world. That's it. I can't reach conclusions that the world doesn't tell me about. I don't know him from within. I know him from without. That's, that's how philosophy works. And that's how philosophy has to work. This is how the Alter Rebbe made peace between the Kabbalists and the philosophers. That they weren't contradicting each other. One was talking what he used to call Das Tachten and Das Elyon, meaning from outside in, from inside out. Ya, what's the best Zog, Zog. Shem Zechnesh Zog. Ken Zog in Yiddish.
So therefore, if this is the case, it's not Pshat, the world is Moedadik. But Dvar Hashem is Hashem Alekecha Eish Oichla. It naturally departs. It doesn't, it's not the natural, the natural flow of expression. Self-concealment is what's necessary here. It's not an act of self-expression. Natural sciences, of course. No, the Ramam came from the philosophy school, but this is a Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah is already a halacha. But there's no question about that. The godless Hashem is discovered from creation. But what he's saying is that godless is also Anvas Nusa. That godless is Bem is godless. And it's an important thing to learn because it's the world we live in. Right? But it's the godless that you should also know is Anvas Nusa. Where would this express itself, for example, in a person? Where does it express itself? It expresses itself in uh, another question, which you'll just see the parallels between the two. In, uh, in many ways, as he often says, and it's already in Medrash and Rambam in many places, the relationship between Hashem and the world, Hashem and the Jewish people, is the dimion of an Isha and an Isha, of a man and a woman. <laughs> the Mishnah says in Tainus, at the end of Chavav, Matan Torah is called a Chasana. And particularly in Kippur, which is the Yom Shenitnu, the Gemara says, the Yom Shenitnu by Luchas Achreiz, which is going to be the topic of Yom Kippur from Parshas Achreimais. Now, when you speak about a marriage, for example, a relationship, there's always this question. It sounds maybe like an abstract question, but it's not an abstract question, it's a very real question. And that is, is marriage an act of self-expression? Or is it something that is more about self-abnegation? Which one is a more accurate description of the marital institution? What does that mean? You're nothing. Self-expression means it brings me out. Self-abnegation means... It, means... it really means, I think, to deny yourself. I renounce myself. I'm a vatal myself for the sake of the other. Which is a more... Your child is getting married. Your child is getting married, and you, they come to you and they say, Tati, tell me about what I'm getting into. Right? What's the pet talk, what's the pep talk you're giving them? Are you telling them... This will be the moment when you will finally find yourself. Here will be a person who will help you discover who you really are. Don't laugh too loud over there. (laughs) Who will finally allow you to blossom like never before. All your latent and dormant talents and personality characteristics will flourish with the support and the love and the validation and the connection of this person. Or the pep talk will be very different. 
my dear son, my dear son, the game is over. You know what I mean? They once asked a, a woman once said, she said, uh, before I was married, I was incomplete. Now I'm married and I'm finished. <laughs> and they'll say, listen, marriage is about giving much more than taking. It's not about you. It's about the other person. It's not about self-actualization. It's actually about the ability to put limits on the self and say, what would you like, my dear? <laughs> it's all about you. So, good. People will say, well, hopefully it's both. But what is the institution of marriage? Is that Dveikas Beishtoi to find his ultimate self-expression? Or is that Dveikas Beishtoi to tell a person that really it's a moment where you ought to renounce or transcend yourself or negate yourself or go beyond yourself? It's not an act of self-expression, it's an act of self, self-negation. What is a relationship? Is the relationship about me actualizing myself, or it's actually about me concealing myself? So it goes back to the first relationship. God created the world. He wanted a relationship. What was that about? Was it about God expressing himself? in this relationship, or not. <coughs> For much of history, basically Tilda Arizal, who, who introduced the concept of Tzimtzum, Tilda Arizal was not a very prevalent concept, even though it's hinted in Zoyar, but Arizal was the one who introduced Tzimtzum. Arizal lived in the late 1500s. Creation was seen as an act of self-expression. God expresses himself in the world. In other words, in this relationship, he's fully expressed. Here I am. Without it, I actually wouldn't be expressed. I would be concealed. One approach. Another approach, Darizal's approach, was he, which he's discussing here, in the beginning of the Maimer, the concept of Tzimtzum, which basically means, What creation needed more than anything was God to conceal himself. In other words, the prerequisite for creation was Hashem putting himself at a side and telling himself, Ask not what the world can do for you, God. Ask what you can do for the world. Because if you would ask what the world can do for you, (laughs) no world. If the world is going to express you, you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like you. (laughs) You want the world to look like you? You want the world to look like a world? You want it to look like a world? Then you've got to go into hiding. Then you have to speak mila dehed yoyta. Then you have to suddenly make clown shows. What did we say the other day? Circuses. Your infinite energy has to become invested in words that deal with finite reality, even if that reality is quite impressive to us. So the prerequisite for creation is an act of self, an act of self-suspension. That's a whole different mahalach. Now, we'll soon get to Kedarkoid, Alter Rebbe tried to synthesize the two views, but we're not there at the moment. What does this then mean? This means that the prerequisite for a relationship is to be able to suspend myself and tune into the other. And that's very significant. In other words, before I begin any relationship, I first have to ask one question. And could I ask this question? And the question is, 
what does the world of the other really look like? Can I create space for you? And in that space I create for you, I can't be present. Because if I fill up that space, then you can't fill that space. That's the prerequisite for the relationship. Just like by creation, that came before him expressing himself, first, he has to conceal much more, and that is his infinity. So in our world that would mean that the beginning of a relationship has to be that I really create an empty space, and I say to myself, I'm not here, I'm actually creating room for your presence, and your presence is not about my presence. In fact, if my presence is fully manifested, it may exclude your presence. Yeah, but but bittel doesn't mean nothing. Bittel means, on the contrary, to be able to do this. <laughs> to be able to do this, you think you have to be confident or insecure. Insecure people don't do this. They can't afford this. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> what? If you if you if you're insecure, you'll never be able to do this. You know why? Why do you think? Huh? Of course, how could you suspend yourself? You can't suspend yourself for the other. You're going to lose everything. There's nothing there to begin with. You're going to lose that too. <laughs> it's like coming, coming, coming to an man who just got a hundred bucks and say, "Gib, gib, gib, gib." I just got this. I just got this b'shena ba'ayin. I'm going to give it away. I barely have something. I'm going to give it away, right? Somebody in the somebody in the hunger and he gets a little piece of bread. You want him to give it away? He has so little of it. And he's barely holding on to it. He can't give it away. You've so, spoken in terms of losing yourself in God versus finding yourself. Right. Similar as well, yeah. yeah. So when the person is in that state, it's very difficult for him to uh, renounce himself. If you want to go deeper, I'm not going to get too psychoanalytical now, but when a person who is very, very insecure and hates themselves renounces themselves, it's actually, it happens, but it's not to create space for the other. It's in order to validate their existence. Because the only way they can exist is if they're worthless. Because that's what they're told their whole life. So really, I'm making space for you just to be able to feel that I am doing the right thing. So I should be validated. Because if I'm nothing, then I'm a good guy. You understand? So I'm not even creating space for you. I'm desperately trying to hold on to the last element of existence. I don't even know that there's a you. In addition to that, if you want to go yet one step a little more analytical, and I don't mean to be anybody's therapist here, God forbid, if I don't think I exist, so my life is hanging on a branch. If it's hanging on a branch, I always need more. It's like a if, if my cup has a hole, you could never put enough water into it. You understand? So I could never afford to create space for you. Because if there's any space, I have to hold on to it. I can't afford to create space for you. It's just the mental space is not there for me. I, there's a hole in my cup, remember. There's a hole in my cup, so I always need more water. So when I come home at night, the only thing I have to hear is how good I am. I can't... I can't afford anything else because there's a hole in the cup. So this must come from 
wholesomeness. So we have to model this source. Ain't Saif is not insecure. <laughs> Ain't Saif is infinite. Right? There's nothing to be insecure about when you're infinite. He chooses to be in a relationship. Because he chooses to be in a relationship, he creates space for the other. It comes from a choice. Because it comes from a choice, it's the deepest form of a relationship. Because it's not trying to validate his nothingness, which is basically about himself. Your type is what I'm saying. This is important stuff. So bittel is the opposite of being nothing. So therefore, creation is an act of tremendous self-suspension. But what now what happens is, but the Dvar Hashem naturally goes back to its source. It's an act of self-suspension constantly. So therefore, creation is really about the ability of Hashem to renounce His infinity to be able to invest his infinite energy within finiteness, which is basically like a most brilliant, brilliant, brilliant teacher making clown tricks in order to entertain the kids. So God's clown tricks are very impressive, but it's like a circus, it's called creation. And that Dvar Hashem has to be held on to like the Ur, like the Psila and the Eitzim. And that is the Lechvoide, the Ein Kavad Alatayra, which holds on to it, which as he's going to continue, there's three ways in which the Er Hashem is held on to, which is Brasiv, Yitzar, Tevasisiv, Machshav, Dibra, which is Torah, Tzadok, Hagmelis, Chsadim, as he will continue. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.